good morning church i bring greetings to you in jesus name i'm delighted to reach you again through this meditation on god's word uh, the name that we are going to learn about is jehovah rafa which means the lord that heals in the 16th chapter of exodus we find a passage of scripture that gives a great insight into our jehovah rafa uh, this name of god is proclaimed to the children of god uh, children of israel by god through moses at mara Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 15 verse 22 to 26. Then Moses led Israel people from uh, Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For 3 days they traveled into the desert without finding water. When they came to Mara they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, "What are we to drink?" Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood he threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test he said if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees i will not bring on you any of the diseases i brought on the egyptians for i am the Lord who heals you as we understand that the israelites are thirsty and in need of water for themselves and their animals but when they came to mara they find only bitter water to drink uh, not surprisingly they began complaining to moses about the scarcity of water and now moses is calling to the lord and asking for help now god intervened working through moses and a piece of wood to provide sweet and refreshing uh, water to his people but At this point the Lord seems to uh, change the subject. Uh, suddenly he begins talking to the Israelites about the disease and plagues that he brought upon the Egyptians because of their affliction of the Israelites. Uh, God is very clear with the Israel people concerning the actions that they must take to prevent the same kind of disease and plagues from visiting them. If they will be obedient to him, he will heal them of diseases and be their Jehovah Rapha. Uh If you see there is a symbolic connection between the bitter water and the hearts of Israel people. Uh this event was symbolic of what was taking place in the hearts of Israelites. They had suffered terribly in Egypt and had been more than happy to leave the bondage of Pharaoh that that he had inflicted upon them. However, when freedom was not as easy or pretty as they had hoped, when they had to rely on God completely for everything and circumstances were not what they had desired their hearts began to be filled with the disease of bitterness and resentfulness god knew their need for healing from bitterness and he longed to bring that healing upon them unfortunately in the very next chapter of exodus we find the israelites longing to forsake the ultimate freedom and return to egypt Let's take a moment to examine our heart in the light of this passage of scripture. Are we more like Israelites than we care to admit? When God doesn't work in our lives in the way that we think he should, do we grow bitter? Do we begin to plan ways that we can make things happen through our own efforts? When God's timing is different than we had hoped, do we hold resentment against him? how often do we look at people in our lives we do not seem to have uh, the same struggle that we have and pose the question what did i do to make god mad at me i'm as good as they are you know our heart groans in resentment towards god 
In Psalm 73, Asaph is making similar kind of complaints to God as he sees the prosperity of evildoers. Uh, but in verse 21 and 22, he admits his ignorance and says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. You know, now as he admits his blindness of his heart, we can see God is healing him. And that leads him to the confession in verse 28. There he says, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. You know, our God longs to heal us of all the resentfulness, bitterness and pride that we have in our hearts. And when we trust him and walk before him in obedience, he will heal us completely. When you come to the New Testament, Jesus is known as the great physician. The prophet Isaiah foreshadowed the healing ministry of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 61. And this was confirmed by Matthew's gospel in chapter 8 verse 17. You know, Jesus healed the lepers and paralyzed people. He raised the dead and he restored the eyesight of blind men and performed many other miracles. You know, Jesus did, uh, you know, Apostle John, he records in his book and in, in chapter 21 verse 25, we read that Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Even today, Jesus is still in the business of healing people's mind, body and their soul. Those who trust him and obey him, they will receive it. If you want to receive the healing of God today, join with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you today in need of your healing hand. In you, all things are possible. Hold our hearts within yours and renew our mind, body and soul. We are lost, but we come to you with grace. You give us life and you also give us the infinite joy. Give us the strength to move forward on the path you have laid for us, Lord. Also, give us the wisdom to identify those around us in need of your healing touch. Lord, hold them and restore them and heal them. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. God bless you. Good morning, church. This morning, we have the final message in the series of our devotions in the names of God. A series that has been helpful to us not only to understand God's attributes, but also all that he is to us. We have seen names of God that reveal attributes of his, uh, like his eternal existence, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his sovereign authority. We have also learned the names of God that reveal his goodness to us, that he is our shepherd, our peace, our maker, our provider, and our healer. But there is one aspect of God's nature that we have not yet studied in detail in this series of messages, and that is His Holiness. It is fitting that we should climax the whole series with this great subject because holiness is really the attribute of all attributes. The holiness of God is revealed through the name Jehovah Makadish. It is found in Leviticus chapter 20 verses 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. For I am the Lord your God Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. 
this particular name of god is found in nine other verses in the bible now the term sanctify literally means to make holy in fact the name kadesh uh, the name makadesh is actually coming from the hebrew word for holy which is kadosh listen to me carefully the ability to make anyone holy demands that god himself must be holy so this name certainly directs us to the holiness of god in fact god often times designates himself as kadosh and this is translated in our bible as the holy one so the key concept behind this name is the concept of holiness basically holiness is separation from all evil and defilement by using the name kadosh and makadesh god is revealing to man that about all things he is holy he is separated from all evil and defilement and stands against sin there are some ways in which god has revealed his holiness apart from revealing them through names number 1 he revealed his holiness through his works psalm 145 verse 17 tells us the lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works so holiness is a characteristics of everything that god does whatever he does is consistently holy number 2 he revealed his holiness in his law every law that god has given to man bears the divine imprint of holiness be it ceremonial laws civil laws and moral laws they all exhibit the holiness of god thirdly his holiness is revealed at the cross the death of christ was the most powerful revelation of god's infinite holiness he showed how utterly he is hateful about sin by laying all our punishment upon his beloved son jesus christ on the cross the specific usage of the name jehovah makadesh is to indicate that god is the one you know sanctifies us sanctification is one of those religious sounding words that people in the church use but may not understand sometimes what it means in its most basic sense to sanctify something is to set it apart for god's special use and purpose therefore god's people are sometimes said to be sanctified because they are to set apart for god's special purposes in the world the word sanctification can be used in a similar sense in the new testament but in one sense believers are already sanctified because of what jesus has done for them hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 tells us that as followers of christ we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all but most of the time when believers use the word sanctification they are referring to the progressive work of god to make a believer more like jesus christ paul writes in his letter to the uh, in his first letter to the thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 for this is the will of god your sanctification he also commands the believers to offer themselves as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification in romans chapter 6 verse 22 So in sanctification both God and the believer have specific responsibilities. Paul commands believers to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Understand God is the one who does the work of making us more like Christ and we participate in that work by turning away from sin and showing our faith in Christ by obeying God's commands. Now 
God uses you know different means to sanctify us. I'm going to point out two of them. Number one, the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, we see that God has provided the means for us to deal with the remaining root of sin in our lives. And the provision is Holy Spirit. As you begin each day, ask the Lord to grant you the strength to walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. As we walk in the Spirit, we can overcome the effects of the remaining root of sin within us. And the Holy Spirit does not work in vacuum. The Holy Spirit uses our knowledge of the Word of God to do His work. So we must keep on feeding ourselves with God's Word. So the second mean is God's Word. So let us keep on reading and studying the Bible. Since it is one of the divinely ordained means to make us holy. But remember, the act of reading cannot sanctify us, but following the word sanctifies us. Jesus prayed for his disciples like this. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. These are the means that God uses to make us holy. Because he is holy. These are the means of sanctification that we must keep on using on this side of glory. Even though the struggle against sin will always be part of our lives until the day we reach the other side of the glory. But God's will for us is to keep on fighting against the sin and striving to become holy through his strength. So let us never give up the fight towards holiness but keep pressing on. God will graciously help us. Let us pray. Lord, we celebrate your grace upon our lives this morning. We understand that we can never become like Christ unless you work through us. We thank you for your gift of salvation and the act of sanctification in our lives. Lord, help us to crucify ourselves and our desires so that we can be glory to your name. Lord, I pray, I pray those, those who are fighting will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and will never miss out the blessings of sanctification. Lord, we offer ourselves to you and we completely surrender ourselves to you. And we ask the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon all of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Good morning, church. Today's study is the new compound name of God, where we are introduced to the Hebrew word Nisi. Moses and Israel are in one tough, long battle against their arch enemies, the Amalekites. But this will be no ordinary battle because the Lord wants to teach them and us about who he is in the midst of the battle. By the end of the day and battle, Moses and his fellow Israelites will have learned something new about this wonderful God that they serve. So much so that Moses will build an altar and will give the name Jehovah Nissi, that means the Lord our banner. Let's start with the context of the passage and then drill down a little, uh, little bit further into this word, Nisi. Now, past this audio, take the Bible and read few verses from Exodus 17 verses 8 to 16 and then come back. As we read, Israel had a very odd fight with their enemies. It's a fight where the Israelites and Amalekites fight all day down in the valley. But the victory doesn't come down to who is the strongest or has the largest army or who has the better tactics. Generally speaking, those things normally come into a general's thinking when planning for a battle. But not this one. This one comes down to an old man 
standing at the top of a hill and raising his hands to heaven as long as he can do that all goes well for the israelites but when his hands drop the amalekites start to win so god was teaching moses the israelites and us about this battle that we are in the battle belongs to the lord it doesn't come down to our strength or great numbers it comes down to his response to our worship and surrender he protected and conquered on their behalf and he was their banner what does it mean for god to be our banner when moses names the altar jehovah nisi the lord is my banner we know it is significant we know it is for remembrance but what else is it and what does it mean for god today to be our banner let us try to figure out what this title means banners are to remember and commemorate banners are labels and signets they announce names and images which people can recognize from a distance they they show the location or even so people can navigate to it the whole point of a banner is to be seen unmistakable and unignorable banners are for those who raise them they are an act of celebration remembrance or announcement banners are for those who see them they are an invitation and a gathering place they summon and call they attract passers by as you consider all this you may see how god is the banner of all who believe and trust him the name jehovah nisi is only used in exodus chapter 17 verse 15 but the hebrew word nisi is used uh, 20 different places to indicate banner pole or a rallying point one classic example is where moses in the wilderness lifted up a pole with an object at the top of it which became a rallying point for the people of israel so that they could be healed i believe you remember the story even jesus spoke about it in john chapter 3 verse 14 and 15 just as moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him jesus says that just as a serpent was lifted up so he also would be lifted up and all that look in faith to him and his works on the cross would be healed of the venomous bite of the serpent that we 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 all have received what a wonderful picture of the cross this story is and what a wonderful promise of the lord this is for all who accept and believe so we see here that the cross is our rallying point our banner and our personal nisi it is here that the sinner must come to experience the victory over both both the power and penalty of sin yes Jehovah Nissi the Lord our banner and our rallying point it is at the cross it was during a battle that Moses and the Israelites found that their lord was Jehovah Nissi he was their victor their rallying point finding god as Jehovah Nissi always requires a battle because we only learn such things when when pressed and desperate it requires a conflict that causes us to cry out and learn of him who is our victor Our Christian walk begins with such a battle because we must experience Christ as we see our great need of salvation. We must humbly come before the cross of Christ and look at him, the sinless savior lifted up and taking the bite of sin on our behalf. This is our initial rally point and victory. But the only growth in the Christian life is our growth in God. Each day 
there is a need to come back and our rallying point uh, to our rallying point and that banner that we rally to is the person of Christ what battles are you fighting today is the battle you are in cho- uh, you are in chosen by the lord for you strange question isn't it scripture is very clear in this particular passage that the lord chooses certain battles uh, battles for us to fight does he lead the way as jehovah and is he in your current battles are you fighting those battles outside the will of god are you fighting in your own strength if jehovah and is he is leading the way in your struggle he will bring success but if you are fighting your battle in your own strength the defeat is imminent surrender your battles to him let him choose the battles for you let him lead you into the battles where you would become strong in your faith and lean on him completely let him fight those battles for you let's pray dear god the battle feels intense some day we get tired and weak but help us to remember that you will never leave us you are our refuge and our strength and ever present help in our trouble remind us that the battle belongs to you help us to trust you more to never waste time wrestling and fighting in our strength lord fill us with the holy spirit and constant remind us that your presence will go with us and you will give us the rest in jesus name i pray amen god bless you good morning church it's nice to be back and greet you in christ jesus name the next compound name of god we are about to study is from psalm 23 yes you heard me right psalm 23 a psalm that requires no introduction it is no doubt that this psalm is the well known chapter in the whole bible it is david's uh, great shepherd psalm so let's do a quick overview of how david came to know of the lord as jehovah rawa which means the lord our shepherd through many valleys caves and times of need follow me as i read psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you have anointed my head with oil my cup overflows surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever this psalm has only six verses it probably would have not taken much time for david to write this psalm but it must have taken a lifetime of experiences with the lord to be able to pen such words so looking at the psalm we see that on the one hand david speaks of green pastures but on the other hand he speaks of valleys of death on the one hand he speaks of quiet waters but on the other hand being in the presence of his enemies he knew and had experienced all of them but through the bliss and the trials david experienced jehovah rawa with him and that was what made the differences in his life what kind of experiences could have taught him so much about this great shepherd who watches over his people's life let's look uh, let's look through the experiences of david as an old man david looked back over his life and he could see the many times that jehovah rawa had cared and sustained him so what do you think he was thinking about there are some initial thoughts that could have been in his mind as he wrote this great psalm he could be remembering his experiences as a young shepherd boy who cared for the sheep and protected them from the bear and the lion 
his experiences uh, of an amazing victory given by god over giant goliath and his experiences of running away for his life from his enemies time and again but while he was out in the wilderness living in caves and uncertainty god was with him the whole way the great shepherd preparing david for what was to come many of david's uh, many of david's psalms came out of the questions uh, and difficulties of this period of life then he went on to become the king the israel's great shepherd in its history he was putting all the very lessons into practice which were taught by god in the wilderness and caves his enemies rose up against him then nation came against him but when he uh, but when his own son betrayed him and wanted to take his life he experienced the agony of darkest days but god remained closed even when his own family betrayed him and maybe david thought of his later years of how god had brought him through the, through so many trials so many enemies so many dealings yet he could rejoice in the shepherd who was holding him and would not let him go as you read the, uh, read through the psalm carefully you can see the majesty and the beauty of all the characters of god you can see god being david's provider healer banner peace righteousness and shepherd in each verse david experienced the splendor of god's beauty through the trials and hardship he faced in his life we know a story of a little girl who recited the first verse of this psalm like this the lord is my shepherd and that's all i want yes when god is our shepherd that's all we want he will take care of us remember he's the good shepherd who is willing to give us life on the cross for us i want to conclude with a story that you would probably have heard few times it's an old story about a priest who was celebrating his 50th anniversary of his ordination for this occasion he had invited his personal friend richard burton to come and recite his favorite psalm 23 burton was known for his baritone voice in 1950s he was a famous shakespearean actor Burton agreed to do uh, this on the condition that the priest would also recite it after him. On that particular day Richard Burton stood and proclaimed the popular psalm with such eloquence. The whole congregation immediately applauded for him and then the humble pastor stood up and began to recite from heart this beloved psalm. But when he finished his recitation the congregation was in awe and some moved in tears. Someone in the front pew with Richard Burton leaned over and asked him, "Why did people loudly applaud you but were silently moved by the pastor?" Burton replied, "Because I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd." David knew the shepherd, and that's all he wanted. Do you know the shepherd personally, and what is your want in life? Think through the psalm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our good and great shepherd. We know that you tend us uh, with care and gather us in your arms and carry us close to your heart. Lord, we thank you for your gentle leading upon our lives. We know that you provide our needs because you gave your very life on the cross. I ask your guidance and provision upon all of our lives today. I pray for those who seek uh, seek you and confess you as their shepherd. Bless them with your love and grace. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Good morning church. I bring greetings to you in Jesus name. We are continuing our study on God's names. The name that we are going to study about is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. When God introduces himself as Jehovah Jireh, it is in the context of the most profound physical need a person can face, that is the loss of life. 
In Genesis chapter 22, we read the story of Abraham being commanded by God to take his son Isaac to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Isaac was a son of promise, a miraculous gift from God when Abraham and Sarah were old. He was a promised child whom God had promised to make into a great nation. He was God's provision and now God is asking Abraham to lay him on the altar and offer him as a sacrifice. So Abraham encounters his greatest test and that gives us a peek into the gospel. I encourage you to read the full account in Genesis 22. we we can see from the account that this was a test for abraham yet it is also for us in certain ways but to see this we need to make a few observations from this account here is the climactic portion of the account in verses 13 and 14 abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided Notice the name that Abraham gave to that place where the test occurred he named it the Lord will provide The question we need to ask is is that name in the past tense present tense or future tense it is clearly in the future tense and to be even more clear this comment is repeated in the future tense even when Moses compiled all these events about 500 years later again this is in the future tense and thus looking to the future but this naming occurs after the sacrifice of ram in place of isaac many who read the account think that when abraham naming that place he is referring to the ram caught in the thicket and sacrificed in place of his son but when abraham names the place the ram is already dead sacrificed and burnt If Abraham is thinking of the ram already dead sacrificed and burned he would have named it the Lord has provided that is in the past tense and Moses if he was thinking of the ram and the uh, and that took place of Abraham's son would have commented and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it was provided but both Abraham and Moses clearly give it a name in the future tense and therefore they are not thinking of that already dead and sacrificed ram So what are they thinking about then if we are looking for a clue we see that the place where god told abraham to go at the beginning of the sign was to the mount uh, to the region of moriah so now this happened in moriah but where is that though it was a wilderness area in abraham's day a thousand years later king david established the city of jerusalem there and his son solomon uh, built the first jewish temple there we read uh, we read about it later in the old testament historical books now when you come to the new testament and you read the gospel you can see that jesus had many titles associated with him jesus was called the son of man and son of god and perhaps the most well known title of jesus is christ and here we find a direct connection to jesus and the gospel We see this connection where we consider one of the titles given to Jesus that is not as well known but hugely important. We see that in the Gospel of John when John John the Baptist says, "Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." In John chapter one verse twenty nine, Jesus was also known as the Lamb of God. Now consider the end of Jesus's life. Where was he arrested and crucified? It was in Jerusalem. Remember that the place was once called as Moriah. So the arrest, trial and the sentencing of Jesus happened in Jerusalem. 
Now back to Abraham. Why did he name that place in the future tense, the Lord will provide? How could he know that something would be provided there in his future that would so precisely mirror the drama of the scene he enacted on Mount Moriah? Think about it. In the drama, Isaac is saved from the death at, le- at, at, at the last moment because a lamp dies in his place. 2,000 years later, Jesus is called the Lamb of God and is arrested and dies on the same spot. Yes, on that day, God provided for the deepest need of our soul through his son Jesus Christ. This time, the hand was not stopped. The son was not escaped. He was crucified. Through that, through that provision, we got everything. Both Abraham and Moses claimed that it was revealed to them by God. You know, sometimes the needs in our life seems to mount up high. Maybe you are waiting or have been praying for help for a breakthrough. Maybe you feel like it's been slow in coming or that you can't see a way out of your, uh, out of your current situation. Maybe the needs seem to outweigh the reality you are living in. You have lost hope, feel alone in the struggle and the weight of stress seems, uh, seems to, uh, too hard to keep shouldering. Whatever the need, the physical, spiritual, financial, emotional and relational, God's truth reminds us that He has got everything that concerns us. He is fully able to provide what we need. We can trust Him with our future, with our family and with our lives. This was the prayer of Paul to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. The one who provided will continue to provide. Let's pray. Lord, as Samus sings, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. We bring our cup of salvation to thank you this morning. We can't repay you for what you have done, what you have provided, but we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to worship you this morning. Lord, I pray for those who are longing for your provision. I thank you that you own it all and you hold everything in your hands. I thank you that you know our needs before we even ask or come to you. You are aware of all, the con- uh, all that concerns us, Lord. You hold the provision and you have the solution. I pray that the abundance of blessing and goodness you have stored up for those who love you will be given unto them today. Lord, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Good morning, church. I really thank you for your feedbacks and the words of encouragement. I pray that you would see and experience God in your daily life through His word. I want to begin this time of devotion with a couple of questions. Have you ever wished you could just call on someone who would not only fight your battles but calm your fearful and anxious heart too? Have you ever wanted to just throw your hands up in the air, give up and let someone else take care of things? If you have gone through that feeling, you can relate yourself to someone in the Bible and her name is Hannah. Today we have the privilege of shedding some light on a name many are not very familiar with. His name is Jehovah Shabbat. And as we take off the layers of that glorious name, we will once again be reminded that the God we serve is so much greater than our finite minds can comprehend. Jehovah Shabbat is mentioned over 270 times, making it the most frequently used compound name of God in the scripture. This is commonly used by the prophets and the 
meaning of this name is the lord of uh, the lord of hosts or the lord of armies the name is first mentioned in first samuel chapter 1 verse 3 we find hannah's husband elkana making annual trips to the temple to sacrifice to the lord of hosts just a short few verses later uh, we find a barren and heartbroken hannah making a covenant with the lord of hosts as she cried out to him to hear her prayer and give her a child each year elkana would take his two wives hannah and penina to shilah to represent uh, to present a sacrifice to god and worship the lord at the tabernacle there and every year it was the same for hannah the same insult insulting comments from penina the same emptiness that her husband could not fill and she walked away with her deepest longing for a child always hannah longed for her womb as well as her arms to be filled with a sweet little bundle of joy but the previous verses give us a better idea of why she prayed such a desperate prayer she not only wanted to experience the joy of being a mother but she also wanted to silence the persistent mocking of penina childbearing was a very important part of middle eastern culture during old testament times children were a source of labor for the family and a sign of success for the women who bore them having no children was a sign of failure so hannah was a marked woman a social outcast a loser who knows how long hannah went through the annual routine it could have been a couple of years or 10 or more years maybe she went to shila out of duty maybe she went as a means of honoring her husband or simply because it was a tradition but hannah went let's put ourselves in this situation maybe there are things we do for god that we don't have the best attitude about our hearts may not be in it we do our duty with grudges we can't wait to get it over now should we wait until our heart a heart is pure and our motives are right before approaching god and fulfilling our duty we might say yes you better get cleaned up first if you want to honor god but if that were the case none of us would make it even halfway to shilaw one side of the battle in our christian work is showing up for the task if we can just get into his presence even with our downcast heart and bitter thoughts god can change us from the inside out so that so that through him god can do miracles on our behalf in the battlefield we see that god was fighting for his people and giving victorious uh, victories to them on many occasions but god was expecting his people to show up for the battle that's what hannah did year after year she showed up she didn't wait to get cleaned up to enter the tabernacle at shilaw she entered broken resentful bitter unhappy defeated and called on the lord of hosts to win a war she could not win on her own finally the battle was won for hannah you remember prophet elijah names god the god of armies when facing ahab and the prophets of baal alone and has seen the mighty strength of god Jeremiah lived during the time Judah and Jerusalem were about to go into exile to Babylon but Jeremiah reminded them 88 times that God was still the God of hosts and the God of armies it's helpful in our battle to remember God's track record he has proven himself in each of our lives we need to remember what he did in our life because that's the life we are living and while we can learn from the stories of others it's important to look back and see his faithfulness to us David went against Goliath not because he was feeling particularly giant you know giant strong one day but he remembered God was with him always the very same God who gave him strength when he when he stood eye to eye with a bear the same God who showed up when a lion crossed his path 
David's trust needed to be in the high in the right place that is in God once that was established he stepped out when Saul tried to arming David with with something that that might have worked for Saul David did not want it not merely because of the poor fit but because God was the one who would do the fighting and he fights armor free he doesn't need any weapon throughout the scripture we find this lord of hosts as our ever present defender the sovereign and holy god over all the universe who sees us loves us and moves the mountains on our behalf he fights our battle wins our wars and is a refuge we can run in in, in time of need he is jehovah sabaoth there is nothing he cannot do nothing he does not know nothing he cannot control no enemy he cannot defeat no heart he cannot heal no mouth he cannot shut no miracle he cannot perform and how beautiful to know that he longs to work in our lives on our behalf as the lord of hosts will you call upon him as we pray heavenly father we worship you for who you are thank you for showing up through your word day after day lord we are able to draw strength from understanding your uh, uh, from from understanding your scripture but i pray that you would give strength to all of us to show up in our battles so so uh, to see the mighty strength and victories of god lord you vindicate each one of us in this process we commit all of us into your hands let your name be glorified through our lives in jesus name i pray amen god bless you good morning church the scripture portions for today's meditation are from psalm 62 verses 7 and 8 psalm 91 verses 9 and 10 my salvation and my honor depend on god he is my mighty rock my refuge trust in him at all time you people pour, pour out your heart to him for god is our refuge psalm 91 if you say the lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling no harm will overtake you no disaster will come near your tent the hebrew compound name we find in these passages is jehovah makshi that means the lord is our refuge why did they call god as their refuge and what did they mean by that name when the israelites entered the promised land god told them to designate six cities as uh, cities of refuge where a person could go to if they unintentionally kill the person These cities were evenly scattered throughout the land of the Israelites so that no city was more than 30 miles from a city of refuge. Three cities of refuge were on the east side of the Jordan River and three were on the west side. So if someone killed another person unintentionally, he could flee into this city to save himself from the vengeance of the dead person's relative. Now let's get into the ancient world of the Bible and look at this wonderful picture of Christ that God built into their daily lives and let's learn some truths about the old description old testament description of the uh, cities of refuge number 1 god himself appointed these cities of refuge this was an act of grace because all of us are sinners and deserve to die moses did not choose these cities this tells us that the law cannot save anyone and earthly priests did not appoint these cities this tells us that religion in any form cannot save anyone these cities and christ picture uh, picture that they both came from the loving heart of god because god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son number 2 god's word announced these cities of refuge the six cities are named in joshua chapter 20 verses 7 and 8 and they could never be changed 
on the authority of the word of God, a slave could enter a city and no one could stop him. So with our salvation, it is promised to us in the word, the saving act of Christ will never change. There were cities in Israel that were larger and more prominent, but none of them could shelter and save the sinner. Even today, there are many religious worldviews and philosophies around us, but there is only one way of salvation as announced in God's word, that is faith in Jesus Christ. Number three, anyone could access these cities of refuge. Now we come to the most wonderful part of the truths of these cities. Uh, They are the clearest picture of grace in all of the Bible. First, they were in central places on both sides of the Jordan, so they were easy to reach from any places in the country. God commanded that the roads were to be made to these cities. If you look at a map of the Holy Land, you find that the six cities were arranged in a way no tribe was too far from, uh, from the place of safety. On the west side of River Jordan, Kadesh in the north, Shechem in the central area and Hebron in the south. On the east side of the river, Golan in the north, Ramoth in the central section and Bezer in the south. These cities were easily accessible. Some of them were located on mountains uh, to be even more prominent. From Jewish literature, we can add uh, some more details about the highways. Listen to me carefully. These little details would actually mirror the process and progress of our salvation through Christ. They actually repaired the roads every spring after the rains and bad weather of winter. And bridges were built where needed uh, so that people did not have to run down into deep, narrow ways, but they could uh, go straight across by taking the shortest route to the city. At every crossroads, they had special signs as refuge in big letters and pointed in the direction of the city. These signposts had to be large enough so that a man running hard could easily see them and read them. Guides were appointed to guide the runners to the place of safety. Secondly, the cities of refuge were open to all. To the Israelites, the stranger and sojourner, Joshua chapter 20 verse 9 says that whosoever killed a person, Notice the term whosoever in this verse and let's read John 3.16 now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you see that the city of refuge is open to all so the salvation in Christ is available to everyone who runs to him. Thirdly, from non-biblical sources, we hear that the great, the great doors of these cities were always left open and never locked. We can see why. Otherwise, a man might die while beating on the doors. Fourthly, these sources also tells us that each city of refuge was stocked with food. It was a completely sufficient refuge, not only providing legal protection, but also meeting a man's needs once he was inside. The cities of refuge were completely adequate for the needs of, uh, uh, of the one who is in danger. So as long as the slave remained in the city, he was safe and he would be freed when the high priest died. At last, we know from the Bible itself that if a killer did not flee into, a, uh, into this city of refuge, there was no hope. Remember that the slayer is told to flee to the city. Such a person could not afford to delay City of Refuge is a place of protection for a soldier. It's a place of uh, peace for the one who, is, uh, one who is going through the storm. And it's a place of refreshment for the wanderer in the desert.
we can learn from the scripture that God is our refuge. Those cities of refuge portray how Christ shelters the sinner, uh, sinner from death. Yes, we have come to Jesus Christ and he is our eternal refuge. As our high priest, he will never die and we have eternal salvation. No avenger can touch us because he has already died and risen from the dead. He is also the sufficient refuge for all of our needs. So, let's run to him. Shall we pray? Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you for being our refuge and strength. Father, we know that no matter what the circumstances are, we can look to you to shelter us and to give us strength. Lord, even if things around us seem to crumble, you're always with us, always loving us, always helping us. Lord, I pray that you would shelter all of us from all the evil around us. We commit our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Good morning, church. We are having our series of devotionals on the names of God. Uh, we have seen how these names reveal God's attributes and character to us. To summarize briefly what we have learned so far about God, through His many names, we have seen that God is eternal, all-seeing, almighty, and that He is the highest one of all. Uh, we have also learned that God is our shepherd, our peace, and the one who remains ever faithful to His covenant promises. Uh, now, before we go any further, let me emphasize that all these things that we have learned about God through, uh, through knowing His name should make a deep and lasting impact in our lives. Uh, they should affect the way we trust Him and His promises. And so, if you want the ability to trust in God, even in times when it is most difficult to trust in Him, make sure that you know His name well. And when you do that, you will also find that this knowledge will increase your love for God and improve your worship of the Lord both in your personal devotions and in the church. Now let me read a scripture portion for today's meditation. Psalm 95 verses 6 and 7. Come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. The name that we are going to study about as Jehovah Hoseno means the Lord our Maker. This name is different from Elohim that shows us God as Creator. Elohim shows us that how God creates out of nothing. But Jehovah Hoseno shows us how God takes something and He molds it and shapes it. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, He leads them to the wilderness where He can mold them and make them better, uh, better than who they were. He has to take away the mentality of Egypt from their psychology and install the, uh, the word of God in them. Most of them, they don't understand the process and find it difficult to submit themselves to the molding process. It is not easy to submit to the potter's hand. We have been living a particular kind of life. But when we come to Christ as our Lord and Savior, God has to mold us to, uh, to get the world out of us. We are a new fresh portion of clay in Christ, ready to, be, uh, ready to be molded and shaped. We are the work of His hands. He takes us as we are and then He begins to do His wonders in our hearts, in our, in our minds and in our souls. He prepares us for what He has in store for us. He has a work for us to do. He called us for a purpose and He is going to get us ready for it. His intent is to confirm us into His image. God used a variety, a variety of means to prepare the great figures in the Bible. With Joseph, the son of Jacob, God prepared him through dreams, family betrayal, being lied about, imprisoned for years, 
forgotten and an ability to hear uh, hear from god about dreams moses was prepared by uh, being given up at birth uh, being bilingual and bicultural having a speech disability and through his connections with people david was prepared through through mundane ordinary tasks like tending and protecting sheep obscurity time alone and musical training with daniel he used formal education and relationship Esther was an orphan and was prepared through physical attributes and relationship with with her uncle and Haggai with Mary he sent an angel to talk with her in person she had someone physically show up sit down and talk with her answer questions and reassure reassure the promise to her and with her husband Joseph he was prepared through his strong character and a clear dream when it comes to paul he was prepared through the family and connections he was born into the training he received the position he held and then through a time of obscurity as well this is a brief list of eight people can you imagine how long the list would be if we go chapter by chapter through the bible and spend time in studying the ways in which god prepared people i would like to list down four ways that le- that i learned from the lives of these people in which god prepared them number 1 he prepares each of us in unique ways he prepared them in palace in prison in wilderness in temple and in exile number 2 god often uses multiple streams of preparation they experienced different kinds of suffering sickness failures brokenness victory and in loneliness not all of the preparation number 3 this is not all of the preparation will be fun or positive they were betrayed by their own family and friends they went through unexpected and unwanted moments in their life number 4 some of the preparation only makes sense looking back and some makes sense beforehand like training and education moses for example was called to serve god at the age of 80 why couldn't he call moses earlier because god was preparing him even when he was shepherding stubborn sheep for 40 years in the desert god used it as training in his life for he will eventually have to shepherd the stubborn sheep of israel for 40 years what about even jesus what was he doing for 30 years he could have saved so many people he could have healed countless and delivered so many during that time i think it was a lesson for us that jesus being fully god and also fully man still had preparation time Today the things you seek for may be taking too long to accomplish. Remember the potter is molding and shaping the things for best. God causes things to happen at exactly the right time. Your job is not to figure out when but to but to make up your mind that you won't give up until you cross over the finish line. The more you trust in God and keep your eyes focused on him, the more life you will have. Trusting God brings life, believing brings rest. so so stop trying to figure out everything stop trying to figure everything out so let god be god in your life he alone can make everything perfect he is our maker shall we pray father god we put our trust and our faith in you because we know that everything is possible with you in making us to become like christ lord you mold us into your image and hold us close to you in this journey We believe that you will never leave us down uh, to be perished. 
even through even through the battles and struggles you are you are shaping our faith and making it strong so that we will eventually be victorious lord i pray for the hearts that are crying out to you right now let your face shine upon them let them experience the unusual strength of the holy spirit in their life lord bless them and guide them in jesus name i pray amen god bless you shalom everyone Yes I greeted you even you could have greeted someone or been greeted by someone Shalom the compound name that we are going to study about is Jehovah Shalom which means the Lord is peace peace is something that we all need and long for this name was revealed to someone who was in desperate need of the peace of God let's have a look kindly read first 24 verses of Judges chapter 6 and then come back Here is the background context to the times in which uh, Gideon lived and it is fair to say that it isn't exactly peaceful. Israel at this time was in a state of spiritual decline and God had allowed their enemy Midianites to dominate and control them. Now Midian means strife or conflict and that was what life was like at this time. Israel was meant to be living down in the fertile parts of a land flowing with milk and honey but instead they were hiding in caves and in the mountains if that is not enough to unsettle the nerves they had to watch as their hostile enemies would come through like locusts and destroy the uh, destroy their crops and livelihoods and there was nothing they could do about it but hide and watch it they would lose their sheep oxen their produce and no doubt they would lose their peace as well they would have had great concerns on whether they would die with the sword of the midianites because if they escaped the sword they had to consider some questions as in how they were actually going to live what were they going to eat how would they feed their family and remember this isn't just go on for a month or two but seven long years it was going on it is with the, it is with this backdrop that we are introduced to our hero gideon and where is he first found well he is on a wine press threshing wheat this again shows the desperation of those times because gideon's act of threshing wheat in a wine press reflected both his fear of discovery by midianites and the smallness of his harvest normally wheat was threshed in an open area on a threshing floor by oxen and the oxen will you know would pull uh, pull the threshing sledges over the stalks It is into this setting the uh, the angel of the Lord appears and calls out to Gideon saying the Lord is with you mighty warrior Now do you think that Gideon was feeling like a mighty warrior at this time as Gideon explains in verses 15 and 16 his tribe is the least of all the tribes of Israel and within that his family is the least of all the families and he is the least within his family So according to Gideon he is feeble and weak. Now I want to focus your attention on the end of this passage in verses 23 uh, 22 23 and 24. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord he ex- he exclaimed Allah sovereign Lord I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him be uh, peace do not be afraid you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace to this day it stands in Ophrah of the uh, Abiezrites so what is the outcome of this encounter between God and the angel of the Lord well an altar is built and a revelation is received 
anxious Gideon learned something about uh, about this God that he serves. The Lord is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. The task before Gideon is still daunting, for he's uh, he's being told to go up against Midian as one man. Yet there is peace. He has met God. He has met the God of peace, and there is an inner inner knowledge that all will be well. The Hebrew word shalom means completeness, health, welfare. It implies being whole in harmony with God and man, having wholesome relationships. It also indicates a state of being at ease, not restless, but having peace both inwardly and outwardly, being at rest spiritually and emotionally. If you notice this scripture passage, you can find an absolute truth there. Gideon was not considering peace as an abstract concept, rather as a person. He calls the Lord is peace, which means I cannot find peace alone apart from God. He himself is the source of peace. It cannot be earned, but it is a gift from God. He alone can give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. I would like to quote Thomas Watson here. If God be our God, he will give us peace in trouble. When there is a storm without, he will make peace within. The world can create trouble in peace, but God can create peace in trouble. Gideon was asked to do a lot. He was not an overly courageous man in himself, but he experienced Jehovah Shalom and went on to do things that we are still talking about today. The peace of God is real and required. More and more people are struggling in this hectic and chaotic world. Fear and anxiety grip so many hearts. But if you are with God, you have peace. When it comes to peace, what matters is not who you are, but who you are with if you're restless and have lost the peace just run to him he will not reject any of us he promised us that peace i leave with you my peace i give you i do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid he is always ready to give his peace to us let's pray lord As apostle Paul prayed over the Romans that may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit i pray that you would fill us with your joy and peace today those who are praying for the peace let their hearts overflow with the peace and calmness that come from you alone lord lord you said all things in accordance with your time remind us to wait patiently and find peace in your plan lord we surrender all of ourselves into your hands and you uh, fill us with your peace in jesus name i pray amen god bless you good morning church the next name i want to introduce to you is jehovah shamma that means the lord is there we find this name for god used in the very last verse of the last chapter of ezekiel ezekiel 48 verse 35 The distance all around will be 18000 cubits and the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. In the book of Ezekiel there are a lot of prophecies of judgment and a lot of warnings that Ezekiel himself had to preach to both Israel and the surrounding nations. But it is comforting that it ends in uh, it ends on this high, truly high note of seeing a vision of this future city of Jerusalem which will have a new name Jehovah Shamma 
the Lord is there. So let's explore this name a little. Now note that the context or the background is always important to understand scripture better. Ezekiel was one of those who was who was taken to Babylon with a group of captives 11 years before Jerusalem was destroyed in 5 BC. Ezekiel ministered to his fellow exiles for the first 20 years of the captivity. They falsely expected to return to Jerusalem, so he taught them that they must first return to the Lord. Ezekiel's prophecy is divided into three parts. First, he rehearses the sins of Judah and warns of God's impending judgment in the captivity of the people and the destruction of their capital. This is all vividly announced in unusual visions and symbolic acts. A bright shining cloud, a figure of God's presence is seen lingering over the temple then reluctantly departing. This meant that God could no longer dwell, on, uh, dwell among his people because of their sins and his sword of judgment must come upon the polluted temple as well. The glory of the Lord is one of the key thoughts running throughout the book of Ezekiel. In the second section, Judah's neighbors are condemned because of their idolatry and their cruel treatment of God's people. These are the uh, Ammonites, Moabites, Edomites, Philistines and Egyptians. Finally, in the last section, Ezekiel tells of the restoration and reunion of the entire nation both Israel and Judah. When the people repent of their sins, God will put his holy spirit within them. the messiah will come to his people and destroy their last enemies the temple will be rebuilt and the glory of the lord will return to it now we need to understand the significance of ezekiel's other visions as well before seeing this prophetic vision of a future city of jerusalem with the lord's presence within ezekiel saw the departure of god's glory from israel ezekiel actually saw this happening in stages So first of all Ezekiel saw the glory cloud of the Lord symbolizing the very presence of God rise above uh, above uh, rise from the ark of the covenant in the holy of holies in the temple and move to the very edge of the temple the glory of the Lord was departing and the judgment from the Babylonians was coming in yet at this stage Ezekiel may not have known what this vision meant this is found in Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 4 The second stage is found in the same chapter verses 18 and 19. Now, from the edge of the temple, Ezekiel next sees the glory of the Lord moving away to the east gate. This would have been a devastating vision for Ezekiel to see because God was essentially writing Ichabod, meaning there is no glory over Judah. He was leaving, judgment was coming, and it wasn't clear at this stage when or if he would return. Let's move to the next stage next stage in Ezekiel 11 verses 22 and 23. Ezekiel next saw the glory of the Lord depart outside the city to the mount uh, to the mountain on the east that is Mount of Olives. The glory had departed to the east and left but for how long would the glory return? This departure of glory occurred during the days of Ezekiel and was played out against uh, played out again uh, with the rejection and departure of the Lord Jesus. But is that the end of Judah uh, and Israel as a whole or did Ezekiel uh, did Ezekiel see the hope for the future? God may have departed, but his plan and promises never fail. We now live nearly 2000 years since Jesus returned back to heaven from the Mount of Olives on the east of Jerusalem. Notice that 
Ezekiel saw a tremendous final vision of a restored Jerusalem and most importantly the return of the Lord uh, the return of the glory of the Lord from the east Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord returning uh, uh, through the east gate today this gate is called the golden uh, golden gate or beautiful gate it is believed that the present gate was built in the 520s on top of the remains of the previous gate destroyed by the roman empire in ad 70 under the ottoman empire the gate was sealed off in 5 in 1541 and a muslim cemetery was placed in front of it in the belief that this would prevent the jewish messiah from coming back but man's effort cannot stop the scripture from being fulfilled and this passage will come to pass with the second coming of jesus christ and his rule and reign from jerusalem on that day no one will even speak or think of the ark of the covenant anymore because the very real presence of god will be with all of us you may think how is it relevant to our personal life so often we live our lives looking ahead to some event some particular time in our lives some potential disaster some looming date we may wonder what that date will bring to our lives or how we will survive it maybe it's a doctor's appointment or a court's date or your child leaving home for studies or different reasons or your loved one leaving you it could be a new job a divorce or moving from a place that you have called home for many years whatever this future event is it causes you to have fear every time you think about it be it real or imagined this future even causes you huge amounts of stress uh, stress anxiety and worry remember our god is already in your tomorrow he already knows what what your future looks like and he has complete control over it i have taken these lines that i am going to read from the hymn sheltered in the arms of god by dotty rambo i feel the touch of hands so kind and tender they are leading me in paths that i must i must trod I will have no fear for Jesus walks beside me for I am sheltered in the arms of God our future is sheltered in the arms of God let's pray father help us to trust in you for our future because you are holding the future in your hands i pray for those who need that encouragement let the power of the holy spirit come upon them and bless them in jesus name i pray amen god bless you Good morning church. I believe this devotional study has been a blessing to you. I encourage you to do your personal study as well. The scripture portion for today's study is from Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 5 and 6. The days are coming declares the Lord when I will rise up to David a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The name for today's devotion is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord of Righteousness. This great prophecy stated that the days were coming when the people would live in safety and would recognize that the Lord is their righteousness. In its context, it is speaking of a day when the Lord reigns over the nation of Israel in the future. This revelation should be for us today as well. But sadly, in this age, there is a hardening upon the nation of Israel but not upon the believers we are the ones should realize that he is our righteousness but what does that actually mean and what are some of the benefits of having the lord as our righteousness 
let's begin this with an ancient question from the oldest book in the bible the book of job in the 25th chapter of job one of job's friends uh, bildad is asking these two questions in verse 4 how then can a mortal be righteous before god how can one born of woman be pure, uh, be pure and in the whole chapter he really wants to state two things in the first three verses he talks about the greatness of god in the next three verses he talks about the nothingness of man based on god's greatness and nothingness of man bildad speech pivots around this ancient still relevant question to us how can man be righteous before god that is a big question and bildad states that even the moon doesn't you know shine on its own which is of course true so how can we be pure in his sight when we are like a worm it is a very important question and the answer is embedded within his own speech let's examine this question in relation to the name uh, to the name of god that we are studying today there are two simple problems in regards to man a man approaching god uh, they are very simple number 1 god alone is righteous isaiah chapter 45 verses 24 and 25 they will say of me in the lord alone are righteousness and strength and all who have uh, all who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame but in the lord all the descendants of israel will be found righteous and will exult and the second problem is man's own righteousness is actually like a filthy rag to god isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous uh, righteous acts are like filthy rags we all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away so here is the question how can man be righteous before god if god alone is righteous and our very best is filthy rags if god's very righteousness condemns us uh, because we don't measure up how can we be righteous in his sight well the answer is he must be our righteousness now at the cross the different aspects of god's nature came together mercy and truth met together righteousness and peace kissed the old saying is that god's love and mercy would have forgiven the sinner but god's righteousness and justice prevented the forgiveness and god's justice and righteousness would have judged the sinner but god's love and mercy prevents the judgment so what is god to do the only answer is for him to become a man and take the judgment upon himself so that the sinner could go free due to the work of the lord jesus on our behalf his righteousness is credited to our account in other words a believer today has no standing in himself his entire standing is in jehovah sitkino 1 corinthians chapter 1 verses 30 and 31 it is because of him that you are in christ jesus who has become for who has become for us wisdom from god that is our righteousness holiness and redemption therefore as it is written let him let him who boast boast in the lord what is the blessing of having lord as our righteousness in today's life let's read isaiah chapter 32 verses 16 to 18 justice will dwell in the desert and righteousness live in the fertile field the fruit of righteousness will be peace 
the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever my people will live in peaceful uh, peaceful dwelling places in secure homes in undisturbed places of rest even though this passage is speaking of the coming age in which israel would recognize that the lord is their righteousness but it has applications for believers today because it speaks of the fruit that proceeds from experiencing the righteousness offered to believers under the new covenant so what is this fruit number 1 peace having the lord as our righteousness gives great peace to the heart because we know that our standing before the almighty god is based on the work of the lord jesus secondly we receive quietness knowing jehovah sitkenu is our righteousness brings a quietness of spirit no longer we have to strive to measure up no longer we have to live with anxiety concerning our position with god thirdly we receive confidence many believers don't have this assurance because they are still looking at themselves they are not able to live with the, uh, live with eternal hope that is in jesus christ and fourthly we receive security we are secure when god is our righteousness even the enemy has no grounds for uh, for accusation anymore finally we receive rest we all need rest we need it physically mentally emotionally and spiritually jesus says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in my heart and you will find rest for your souls when god is our righteousness we can possess the fruit of righteousness in our life on this earth remember we cannot have our own righteousness the lord is our righteousness let's pray heavenly father as david sings i will give thanks to the lord because of his righteousness we thank you this morning we thank you for the substitutionary work on the cross to take right uh, to take the condemnation upon you and give us your righteousness lord help us to stand on the righteousness of you and not on our own so that we can have the peace quietness confidence security and rest lord may the gospel would uh, would shine light in our hearts let this day be a joyful day for all of us in Christ Jesus in Jesus name i ask amen god bless you